0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strance here live from the Kintex studio. JanPro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting JanPro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit JanPro.ca. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express. Outladner Center or our in Vancouver online at dumbarlumber.com Lots of texts coming in, uh, including lots about Elias petterson in that situation. So we might revisit that conversation at some point here, but some other texts uh to
1: get into. Go ahead. Just, just note like this is something Canucks fans that's on Canucks fans' minds. You know, I wrote that article today. Wrote, wrote it at the Athletic. Go check it out. Um, how I learned not to worry about Elias mm-hmm. Pettersson extension rumors. And it's just about like the most sober, let least dramatic, completely unsensationalized take I could have possibly <laughs> put together, right? Yep. And and there's a lot of people in my mentions who are like, Canucks Media driving this. Vancouver Media is the only one who's who cares. And it's like That's not like, true. That is not true. I tell you I'll tell you what, there's a lot of ways that people can reach me to to provide feedback and a lot of them have been wondering about this and, yep. and living and dying with every update for the last two, three months. Um, and and it feels like it reached a fever pitch this week. It did. So And look, it's understandable. As much as I was saying in the
0: last segment, you know, hey, we're doing a lot of speculation, and until we know what he's thinking, we don't really know where this is going. Of course people are going to talk about it. Like, how could you not? As much as I see people saying, like, oh, just enjoy the season. Yeah, I get that. And fans should enjoy the season. They're playing incredibly well. But of course you're going to wonder what's going on with the team's star player in the last year of his contract.
1: Well, And a few months ago when we were getting updates, right, Uh, you know, the, the like, short-lived optimism week, remember that? Mm -hmm. You know, one of my takes was fundamentally until we hear that it's changed, that the dynamics changed, I I can't really get too excited. Like, Pedersen said what he said, and until we hear differently, Mm -hmm. meaningfully differently, like, I'm not going to read too much into anything. I think it's worth noting that things kind of have changed, whether or not Pedersen's stance has, right? Like as the season's gone along, yes, things have been in stasis, but the mood in the market has shifted, right? there, There's an increasing level anxi- of anxiety mm-hmm. among Canucks fans. Uh, the stakes have altered given the club's success and performance this season, right? The stakes yep. are totally different now that this team looks like they're on the verge of, you know, if they're not a contender now, they're on the verge of being one. Right. And then you've got the steady flow of seemingly impatient commentary from team executives, right? Over the last month and a half. I mean, th- those are material changes, even if the overall posture has not. Yeah. And I think all of that leads to
0: the feeling of stress and anxiety from some fans, right? And we have fans texting in about that. Tony texts in. My question would be, why would he want to leave? And that's a very, very question. But again, it's something we can't answer. With that, like only Elias Patterson can answer that. And that's assuming that he does want to leave. Yeah, which, the again, answer we might be, know. I don't. Yeah, the answer might be, you're right. I don't. I have lots of reasons to want to stay. Because we can sit here and list and, you know, theorize tons of potential reasons why he would want to yeah, stay. But we don't know. We can stay and list tons of potential reasons why he would want
1: to leave. But we don't know. No, and and again, I think the temptation when you've got a vacuum, right, is to fill it with innuendo and speculation. And it's a temptation that I, th- I think we've tried to avoid mm-hmm. and, and have done a good job of. And I want to stick like that. Pat ourselves on the back. Oh, I'm patting. I'm going to pat you on the back. Can, oh, thank you. You can do me. <laughs> <laughs> not interested. Fair, fair. 650-650 uh, <laughs> is the Dunbar Lumber that's, text that's line. That's why I bring my machine with that's me. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. 650-650
0: uh, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. So you can keep uh, your text coming in. Elias Pettersson related or not. Anything Canucks related or whatever. Who who cares? Text in anything you want, frankly. Uh, this text did came in. <laughs> what am I? The policeman of the of the Dunbar Lover Text text line? It's a free country. You can text in questions about anything if you want. Uh, this text came in, and I have to mention it. The Game Eight legend will be the boost that this second line needs. And he does say in oh, brackets. Wow. In brackets, this is a joke. So fair enough. But oh, wow. Cody Hodgson. I mean, I gotta give the shout-out to Cody Hodgson, Of course, the Game Eight legend. Signing a PTO. With the Milwaukee Admirals of the AHL after eight years away from pro hockey. I mean, first of all, like, in all seriousness, because he quit because of health reasons, yep. right? So that's a big deal. To get back to a spot where you can play professional hockey again after, or at least give it a shot to a, play professional hockey a, again. A loaded way to say it. To get back, huh? Yes. But you know what I mean. Yeah, so, no, after I having to retire to because of really serious health issues. For sure. That's an incredible deal. I
1: I'm here for it, man. I'm w- stoked. Would be amazing. It would be an amazing story if he's able to be effective in the American League and even push to earn an NHL contract. That it, it would be incredible. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, like you see comebacks, but typically not with that much of a gap between your last game and when you start the comeback. You know what I mean? That would straight up be movie rights stuff. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. would be like you can sell. A, you can probably write a bestseller. You can have movie rights. Like someone's going to get cast to play Alain Vigneault. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's going to be Javier Bardem or something. Like It's going to be amazing. I'm in. Uh, Dan from
0: Van texts in, Gentlemen, would you sign Corey Perry one year at 775,000 good hands big in the playoffs? So there's a couple things that go into it with Corey Perry. I mean, one, obviously, tons of due diligence required, given the circumstances of his exit from Chicago. So you'd have to really understand the lay of the land. Now, I will say... I believe it was Elliot Friedman, I think, either on the Jeff Merrick Show or the 32 Thoughts podcast this week saying that he suspects or he's heard that Corey Perry might be interested in a quiet market, something maybe a little out of the limelight of Canada. That obviously – Vancouver obviously does not fit the bill there, so I don't even know if it would be a possibility – I don't hate it in theory, right? Like, if you do your due diligence and if he would be willing to come here, you know, a really tough, nasty playoff experience veteran with a winning pedigree in your bottom six, like, I can see the utility there. I just don't know that it's going to be a realistic possibility for the Canucks to explore.
1: Yeah. How important has team speed been to what this club's accomplished, especially on the wings and especially Mm -hmm. in the bottom six? You know, I think it would be pretty hard. Like, put it this way. If you go check, like, the NHL edge data, right, one of the only Canucks players who doesn't chart as being – or forwards anyway, who doesn't chart as being, like, above average speed is Andre Kuzmenko. And how much sense does that make to you when you think about what it looks like when this team's playing? Like, I really struggle to imagine the fit there outside of the fact that, like, I do think Perry – or a player of that ilk would be exceedingly helpful at the net front on PP1. Like, I do think that that's something Rick Tocket wants in terms of a big body. Corey Perry is also a skilled finisher and also a right handed shot. So, hard to do better than that. But in terms of the way and style the, uh, of this team, I, I just think the ability to come at teams with like Hoaglander, Lafferty, Garland, Joshua, you know, now it's Pedersen, Besser. Um Mikheyev on the wings, like, I think that's been such a crucial part of what's driven sort of the, the team's success. The North-South hockey stuff that Rick Talkie used to talk about all the time and doesn't anymore because the team kind of just does it. Yeah, he doesn't so need to talk about it anymore. I struggle to see this that stylistic fit to some extent, even though I think, you know, in, in one narrow specialist spot, I do think... And I just think in
0: general, it. the idea of adding a tough player like that in your bottom six. I, I, I see what you're saying about the stylistic fit. And I don't know that Corey Perry is the right fit anyways, for other reasons. But if you can add a guy who's been through it like that, who's won a Stanley cup, who's been on deep playoff runs, who has that element of physicality in his game. Yeah. I would absolutely, especially at a, a really cheap cost. I would absolutely to me, Corey Perry's like, we get people texting in all the time about Phil Castle. I don't see the fit there at all. Not none whatsoever. Do I, in any respect. Do I see a fit? Uh, for Phil Kessel and the Canucks, right? Like, it's just – that's not the type of player they need. Now, if it's – Corey Perry is closer to the type of player I could see them pursuing in that kind of, hey, take a flyer on a vet to fill out in your bottom six role. Uh, Speaking of Andre Kuzmenko, and you mentioned, you know, he's one of the only guys that doesn't grade out as an above-average skater in terms of speed in this lineup. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that that's the case, and he's also the guy who's been scratched five times, who's had his minutes reduced most dramatically at different points by – uh, by Rick Tockett, right? Like, I think there's uh, beyond all the other things and, you know, the turnovers and the puck management and and things like that, it's easy to draw a line between the skating and the speed and, you know, not being able to get in on the forecheck in the way Rick Tockett likes. And that kind of brings us back to what do they do with Andre Kuzmenko ahead of the deadline? And we'll talk to Ian McIntyre later on the show, but in his Q and a with Patrick Alvine yesterday, he asked him about Kuzmenko. Uh, this is IMAX question is what to do with Kuzmenko. The biggest decision you have to make before the March 8th trade deadline. Alvin says the players usually dictate where they fit and how they perform and all that talk is a puzzle guy. And we want to make sure the puzzle I, I did, works. I
1: did note that.
0: So we talk about different ideas and things, and then we'll see where things go. There's something even better about somebody else referring to him as a puzzle guy, not just himself. You know what I mean? Because you can give yourself a nickname, but when other people start to be like, oh, yeah, talk, big puzzle guy, then you know it really holds weight. But I think beyond the uh, hilarity of the puzzle guy reference, I do think that's a really telling quote. Because this is what we're talking Like As you were just saying there with the speed is Kuzmenko a puzzle piece that fits this puzzle, right? Does he have the characteristics that make him a fit for this lineup, for what Rick Tockett wants to play? And I think Alvin's kind of acknowledging that that's very, very much in question. And maybe we know the answer already and we're just dancing around it. But, you know, that to me, that leaves the door open very much for a potential Andre Kuzmenko trade ahead of the deadline.
1: It's going to be one of the most fascinating situations because, again, you've got – the need to do a salary matching deal barring an injury, right? Barring an LTI type event, right? And let's not underscore this, right? When the Canucks acquired Tyler Toffoli, it came exactly 48 hours after Michael Furling mm-hmm. hit the ice in Utica to attempt to come back from the concussion and and didn't make it through the first period. It was like the team didn't have the ability to add Toffoli until it was clear that Furland wasn't coming back in the regular season, right? Like, until that moment, it was not apparent. It was not clear. And, you know, I think that's a a, a crucial thing here. Like, if the Canucks remain healthy, and hopefully they do, right, between now and the deadline, you're going to need to do some sort of salary-matching deal, some sort of salary-matching component. It's dollar-in, dollar-out, for the most part. If you're going to improve this team or, yep. or do the sort of big ad that certainly uh, you would like to see. Unless it's me the, too. Unless there's, there's a, especially, Yeah, absolutely. And every day I, I become more and more convinced um,
0: unless it's the, you know, like the Brandon Hagel deal. Right where he was on a real he was sure. on a really cheap contract or there's been other examples of that you know Tanner you know I don't really think fits the mold but unless you're capable of identifying that player that is producing and you think can step into a bigger role and happens to be on an extremely cheap contract I don't have a player off the top of my head but that would be the other avenue but as you say yeah
1: you could probably do you could probably do 2 million and carry a 22 man roster right mm. like if you really mm-hmm. if you really were willing to go and play the balance of the season from the deadline through game 82 with a 22 man roster. I, 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 you know, you wave Mark Friedman, you have seven defensemen. You might have to roll 11, seven, some nights, depending on how everyone mm-hmm. sort of um, shakes out here. And, and, you know, I think you could add, I think you could add two. I think you could add 1.75, something like that. But man, it would make like, you'd have to be prepared to play for short some,
0: for some discomfort.
1: Well, to, you'd have to be prepared to play short, you'd have to be prepared to play 117. like you you'd really have to be focused on okay, we're going to care about the postseason a lot more than we're going to care about the stretch run. And I think this club could do that They've I think put, the they put themselves to do in a, a position it. to do it. They've at right? least put themselves in a position to consider it yeah, but we also don't want to ignore the fact that, you know between LA Vegas, Edmonton, Vancouver the the reward for finishing first in the west the it's reward huge. for finishing first in the pacific is massive massive like you don't want to be the Miami Dolphins right
0: who who has the late season letdown and gets the much diffi- more difficult path in the playoffs? You're playing as a result. minus thirty in yeah, Kansas City as home. opposed
1: to at home against the Steelers, right? Yeah. I mean, don't ignore that factor here, especially with what a gauntlet the Pacific Division is.
0: The other thing I'll say about the possibility of having some kind of roster discomfort and you know playing with fire a little bit after the trade deadline is they do have that big nine game homestand with like a ton of breaks right after the deadline. So the deadline's March eighth, I believe, correct? And right after that, they're home for the rest of the month. They're home. <laughs> right after that, they start that nine game homestand and they have, you know, a bunch of sequences with three days off or two days off between games. So that does make it a little bit more comfortable, right? You know, you're not on the road dealing with potential call ups and all of those sorts of things right away. Now, I'm still not saying it's the most desirable option, but I guess it's another option to consider if the the bigger move isn't out there. But, you know, what I was going to say about the idea of chasing that two million and under under dollar player that doesn't necessarily fit Jim Rutherford's MO. You've been, you know, kind of hammering this. His MO is to find the established player, and typically those guys aren't making two million or under. They're pay you're paying them uh, a lot more than that. Not always significantly more, but typically you're going to have to spend more to get that established name brand player. It's really hard to see.
1: It's really hard to see how you get a name brand player without. Subtracting some salary from this roster in I, some form, yeah, I think you have to. Yeah, I don't to, think there's any way, uh, barring LTIR, which you don't, which is completely unpredictable and out of your hands. Yep. Really? Yeah, it's not entirely out of your hands, but sure. <laughs> no, no, I mean we we say this every year, but there's a lot of guys. That's true. That's there's a true. lot of guys once you get 40, 50, 60 games into the year who, who have can, something going on who can be declared or or you know there's an elective surgery that's mm. a six week mm-hmm, recovery mm-hmm. that you know you might. Be able to, I mean, the Alex Edler that the Canucks did in 2010 11 would have, would fit that mold. I don't, I don't think there's a lot of doubt about it, right? He, he could have pain managed that back surgery, but it was also a perfect timeline to get Sammy Salah back again. The only difference, the only difference between what we see then and what we see now is that then the Canucks had the sort of, um, decency is the wrong word, but like enough embarrassment about it that they held edler out till game two of the playoffs (laughs) (laughs) and now teams don't even worry about that game one one, kucherov mark stone let's go (laughs) we're not gonna do that That, that's the only difference right so i mean you know don't ignore don't ignore that there are ways to avail yourself Mm -hmm. of um of that edge if you want to i I guess it wouldn't be a shocker if the canucks did but you're right to some extent it's out of your hands and you make a good point though it's and there's an element of relationship management there, right, with the player yeah, you, you and all that. Yeah, you can't do it with a pending U of A. No, you know you have to. And
0: and you know one of the other candidates would be like Tyler Myers or Nikita Zadorov, or you know what I mean. Those would be potential candidates. Well, they need for to be making sort of real of money. Like it needs to be a guy making. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, you can't do it with Teddy with uh, Teddy Bluger no. or Dakota Joshua. I mean, that doesn't help you enough.
1: It helps a little bit. It helps a little yeah. bit.
0: But you know, really, you're talking about a guy making like four plus million to move the needle for you for this kind of scheme. <laughs> I can't believe we're
1: talking about LTI fraud. <laughs> <laughs> this is the sort of thing it's like don't do this on the air don't do this on the phone literally calling it a scheme <laughs> Anyway for this kind of illegal scheme anyway I, I, yeah I do think I do think a salary matching component has to happen and and I still think the usage thing looms large here right I and I know people noted for example Hoaglander only played 8 minutes in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. right and uh, especially when there was a sense that hey could Hoaglander be the guy that the Canucks have to send out For value, because a young player, cost-controlled, is highly prized by teams around the league, especially when they, you know, depending on your mileage on Niels Hoaglander, and mine's very high, you could see him as a guy who could have top six upside, Mm -hmm. right? Or certainly middle six, at minimum. Only plays eight minutes in Pittsburgh, but his minutes everywhere else were normal. was like 10 plus. Who do you think, if he's coaching on the road... Rick Tockett is most nervous about having his fourth line caught out against in the entire league maybe it's probably Sid yeah given his respect for Sid in that relationship yeah not to mention how Sid was going that night yeah playing extremely well I I like I don't read that I don't I don't think the level of trust that Hoaglander has is in the same galaxy as the level of trust that Andre kuzmenko does do you mean in like Hoaglander has more trust way more yeah like Totally different degrees.
0: I think that's fair. I think, to me, they're comfortable using Niels Hoaglander as a fourth liner, right? And I, I could see the playoffs rolling around, and hey, that's his role. Nine minutes, nine to ten minutes on the fourth line, and we know what you're going to get from. I think the question of what Andre Kuzmenko's role would be in a playoff series is much more up in the air than it would be for Niels Hoaglander, right? For Niels sure. Hoglander, I can picture very easily slotting in and playing his role to, you know, talk it might not necessarily be over the moon about it, but to talk at satisfaction. It's harder to do that uh, with Andre Kuzmenko. Dino texts in, what the Canucks are missing is a top six forward on LTIR that they can bring back for the playoffs. That seems to be the secret sauce these days. And somebody else texted in, Ronnie Beck, uh, the three-time Soapbox Derby champion, Ronnie Beck, says, I missed this if it was addressed, but my biggest playoff fear is Vegas, adding a bunch of studs and then having Eichel and Gang return for game 1 of the playoffs.
1: So, is Eichel, Eichel week to week. Week to week lower body too, which is which is good for him, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we we all Not know the back. The, we yeah. all know the back is what looms so large in in his case. Um so yeah, I mean, I don't know that It doesn't it feels I, I don't see that playing out for Eichel if it, if they're saying week to week. I would had this I don't think Vegas has a big enough lead. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think they're positioned to really play fast and loose, especially with a player like Eichel, given how their team's performed all season, first of all, but also, you know, he's too important to them. He's too important to them, and, they're, and they've and they been down um, Theodore for so long, like the entire year. I don't think they're positioned to do that. No. So I wouldn't – look,
0: hey, maybe something – Maybe it happens. Maybe, like, maybe another situation develops for Vegas or or L.A. or – uh, or Edmonton even, and and that does become a concern for a Pacific Division or Western Conference team from Canucks' perspective, but I don't think the Eichel situation in particular is going to, to turn into that, to that perfect LTI scam opportunity for the Golden Knights. Their,
1: their injuries are really mounting too, right? Like, it's not just Theodore, right? Mm-hmm. William Carlson on IR, Jack Eichel, Aiden Hill, William Carrier, Ben Hutton. It's a lot of bodies, well, and- man.
0: You know, we we had this discussion on the show actually I think you were traveling the day but somebody texted in who would you ra- who would you most want to face in the first round specifically out of the Pacific Division teams the Oilers the Knights and the Kings and I think I said the Golden Knights in part because there are just so many questions about their health and they logged the miles, going all the way to the cup final and winning the cup final. And they're an older team. That takes a toll. I'm not saying they can't be ready to go by game one of the playoffs, but I think you're seeing some of those miles and some of that age catch up to them. And I think it's a very much open question of what form will they be in, what shape, even if they're healthy. Like, even if Eichel and Theodore are on the ice, how close to 100% will they be when the playoffs roll around? I couldn't disagree with you more. <laughs> Wow. So you would you have them f- the team you least want to face? No, Edmonton. To me, would, that's Edmonton. Edmonton would Easily. be the team. Um now to be fair, LA has kept losing since then, so maybe no, i know not going to LA's fine.
1: I, I honestly, LA's fine. I'm not worried at all. I've been watching- Well you gotta choose one of the teams. Which is it? It's the Golden Knights. Yeah, it probably is. See? But, but man <laughs> So like, you could disagree with me more. I cannot escape that data point. I remember, okay, this is an esoteric story. I remember in twenty 20- You? No. <laughs> No. I remember in 2011, but not the 2010-11 season after that. Okay. New Year's Eve, 2011. You can go look up the game. The Canucks played the LA Kings in LA. Kevin BX opened the scoring with, like, an absolutely beautiful goal assisted by both twins. And from that point on, the Kings absolutely speed-bagged that Canucks team in a way we hadn't – I hadn't – like, literally it had been years since we Mm. saw the Canucks get demolished territorially – the way that the Kings did, and in particular, the Kings did this pressure PK thing, which became a staple for them, um, that just completely flummoxed Vancouver 5-on-4. And Vancouver's power play had been like number one in the league the last season, was number one in the league at that point. And I remember just watching that game and being like, this matchup's a nightmare. An absolute nightmare. And and you could tell. You could just tell from one watch. I, I'm not saying I had a, the same feeling, when the Golden Knights played the Canucks in what, November 30th November, or yeah. December 1st, whatever it was. But the reason I didn't have that feeling was that I didn't view this Canucks team as like a contender like sure. I viewed that Canucks team, right? Like that matchup looked really scary, I thought, from a Vancouver Canucks perspective. I don't think any other team has made the Canucks, has given the Canucks problems where I was like, I wonder if this is a matchup thing that's not. Like, I don't think the Canucks are off tonight. I think this might be a massive This is just a really disadvantage. tough matchup. Yeah, Yeah. And look, I get it. I don't think any of those teams. We haven't should... seen them play L.A., though, and we've seen no. them beat Edmonton three times. We have. Very different Edmonton team. Well, I'd, I would argue. I'd also add home ice feels like it might loom large there because the win in Edmonton looked very, very different True. from the, the wins the two, in Vancouver. The two
0: wins in Vancouver. Yeah, that's a good point. But
1: anyways, I think.
0: I don't think you're excited about playing any of those teams.
1: No. well, If so I had what? to pick one, it would sorry, be Vegas. But, but you're in the playoffs. You're excited to play any oh, of those teams. Oh, you know teams. what I mean, though. I know, yeah. I know. I'm sorry. I'm, you're right. <laughs> but you know what I mean. I do. I'm I just do. being obtuse. Look, and there is something to be said for a, a matchup with a quality team. Like, that's
0: exciting, too, in its own way. As much as you want the more the most favorable route, if you're just talking about excitement and
1: entertainment value, that's pretty cool, too. All right. 650-650 uh, is the Dunbar-Lumber So many people line. sent us in guys to discuss for trades. I know it. And we really did just ignored those. And I just want you to know, like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open a Google Doc. I'm going to save all your trade ideas. We might have to just set aside, like, a whole show. I, I was thinking about this, actually. I was thinking Or, like, about at least doing... an hour. I was thinking about doing a whole show. And right. and maybe we get someone on to, like, do the bit with us. Like, Batch for sure, because he'd be into any bit. Mm-hmm. And then maybe someone else who's, like, maybe it's Books. Honestly, maybe it's Books. Yeah. And um, and I, I want to title the episode this. All your trade ideas are bad, and here's why. <laughs> and we do the all your trade ideas are bad show. What do you think? And like like a trade deadline special. you can't prejudge the trade ideas. What if some of them are good? No, it's it's just a title. Yeah, but the title is supposed to provide information about the content. No, the, the point is is we are going to rip all the trade ideas apart. You can do that. I will soberly judge all of the trade ideas. But you're okay with their the title.
0: Bad. Well, whatever.
1: You don't get to decide
0: the titles of the podcast. Well, I do in this case. No, you don't. Yeah, I'll just text Lena. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, but we do have to do, like, a big trade targets show at some point. where it's just open season. Open all, all your trade ideas are bad. Yeah, Embrace yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Okay. Just the trade ideas. The trade target show. Well, we'll do that at some point here. Maybe next week. All your day. trade okay. ideas are bad. Okay. okay. I get it. <laughs> Uh, Speaking. All all your trade show title names are bad, Jamie. There you go. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Jason Buchla, he joins us next right here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line now joining us as he does uh, every week at this time on Wednesday from Sportsnet and also a longtime NHL scout? He is Jason Bucala. Jason, thank you as always, man. How are you? Hey, doing great, fellas. How about yourselves? Uh well, we're doing very well. It's uh, you know we're getting into I don't want to say crunch time as it as it relates to the trade deadline, but really with the Canucks doing so well on the road trip coming back home, you know, a lot of the conversation has started to focus on okay, what are they going to do at the trade deadline? What should they target? How much should they give up? Just from a kind of big picture point of view, how do, like what's your perspective on how the Canucks are positioned generally as an organization going into this trade deadline?
2: Pretty well, actually. Uh, better than they have been in the past, for sure. Um, and, and the reason I say that, so we're at that time of year, guys. That you know, coming out of World Juniors, and uh, now we're in that cycle of prospect games, et cetera. That um, even for myself, you know, the way that I'm operating, I'm kind of like conducting almost like a mid-season meeting sort of process here. And so I start to take a big picture look at you know trends of, of the organization. I'm talking about the Canucks here, and and you break them down over to the last fifteen game segment. You know, it's not like a five or a ten, it's like a fifteen. And yeah, the good news is the most recent, you know, coming off that that road trip that was obviously fantastic. Um but you know, you, you want to plane it out and get a real good feel over a, a long period of time. And then you wanna you wanna take a look at the roster in relation to okay, where are our needs, and if we wanna fill a need, you know, how do we wanna manage our assets? And and you know, that's obviously draft capital. It's also prospect management and the good news on the Canucks front right now is that they got a lot of flexibility and, um, you know, more flexibility that I can remember in recent memory anyways, um, you know, in terms of how aggressive they want to be on the prospect front. um, They've got some options there and they've got a lot of guys coming off the books in the summertime too. So there's some moving parts, but uh, it's all good news. This is uh, it's a good position. I, I feel like they're dealing from a position of strength for a change. Uh, which is a good thing. How would you rate the
1: value of some of their best assets in terms of prospect capital? Like, h- how valuable would Valander and Lekaramaki and and even guys like Ratu um, and and Colson down on the farm be at, as the Canucks approach? You know, the, the prospect of big game hunting ahead of the deadline.
2: Yeah. So. Part of the process has to be um, the current draft cycle, and the reason I say that is because, as we all know, um, if if for some reason, like let's look where the Canucks are going to finish. They're obviously going to finish in the upper echelon of the mm-hmm. of the league, unless they you know drive right off a cliff, which isn't going to happen. Like this team is, this team has been way too consistent and have too many good qualities right now. I don't see much change in their game going forward. So when you take a look at that, they own their first round picks in the next three draft cycles. They don't have a second this year. They have two fourths. Um, as I'm doing my work for this draft cycle current, um, I have to tell you that I'm kind of lukewarm on that area where their first rounder is going to land. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that if I'm buying on the other end, I'm clearly going to be putting a lot more value in the names that you're bringing up, to so the Karamakis, the Wheelanders, the Ratus, the Colzans. So depending on uh, who the buyer is, let's just say that like, I'm, I don't know how you guys feel, but for me right now, as I broken, I broke down the entire roster and I'm trying to find some anomalies of where we need some help. And one of the biggest things we need some help on is, um, you know, the secondary or third line centerman position. I'm going to call it a two and a half for argument's sake. Um, and I'm not even just talking about point about point production. I'm talking about the tangibles, guys. I'm talking about, you know, a guy who can kill penalties and, and win key face-offs and, and do some things in the middle of the lineup, not only to offer protection to the upper echelon, but really play serviceable minutes. So if you're looking at a guy like a, a Adam Henry, for example, in Anaheim. You know, Anaheim's in that cycle where they're looking to add uh, prospects. They, they have time on their hands. He's a $5.825 million cap hit. Um, he plays in all situations. Well, if you go east and you look at a Sean Monaghan, at 1.985 the difference in the money is big but also i think the difference in the value of those two commodities in terms of what it's going to cost changes so you know if you put your first round pick in play i would be more willing to sell my first round pick in vancouver this year than i would a lacaramaki for sure a Wheelander for sure i would i would put it in play a different way if i'm looking at a pot cozen right now or a ratu given their cycle um, but what I'm trying to tell you is that that first round pick, if it is in play, um, I'm okay with it because I'm not so sure that the value, uh, for this draft class in relation to the value of their prospects is on the same level. I think that their prospects are better than that first round pick on balance.
0: Um, so, you know, teams never want to trade their top prospects, obviously. In the Canucks' case, that, that's Volander and LaKaramaki. Sometimes you have to to get a deal done. But, you know, we've heard reporting locally this week that they'd be reluctant to include those players. But, you know, as you mentioned, guys like Ratu, Coles, and, you know, the second tier of prospects, uh, they would be willing to move potentially. How much of a gap is there from the perspective of the team they'd be trading with, going from you know the top end of LeCarmouche and Volander to that next tier of prospects? Like, you know, it's easy to say, oh, we wanted the, the team, one of the team's top prospects, but how much is a gap is there from the top to that that second tier of guys?
2: Yeah, so like if I'm if I'm buying from the if I if I have an asset that I'm moving to Vancouver right now. Um, call it just for argument's sake, Adam and Henrique, and I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not trying to circulate rumors. Yeah. I'm just using an example here. So if I'm Anaheim and the return on the other end is okay, well, here's what you have to choose from: call it Coles and call it Ratu. Well, immediately then, I'm. I need a, a pick on top of that to make that feel better for me. And again, you know, I. I would probably ask for you know their third round pick this year to be honest with you that's that's probably where i'd be going with that um if i'm shopping for those two prospects if if we're getting into a different area which i don't think i'm i'm with the canucks like i would not be moving those those other top names i definitely would be shopping the second tier and then my picks um but if for some reason they get really itchy and it's like we really feel like we can do something here um, the good news is, if you were to move a Willander, just saying, if you were to do that, like, I'm super high on Patterson, guys. So, like, at least this is what I'm talking about. There's another layer on the horizon that you can count on to be productive, hopefully, in the in the cycle when he becomes over here and becomes a North American pro. Um, so, at least it gives you a little bit of um, uh, more calm, if you will. It's not ideal, but it will give you more calm if you felt like you absolutely had to do it.
1: Jason, you've brought up Henrik a couple times. I know I know it's just like a thought exercise name, right? But yeah. I also think it's instructive because if you're trying to come up with the centerman target, right? There's just not a lot of guys that move the needle who seem likely to be available based on how few sellers there are, but also how little talent <laughs> some of the sellers have, frankly. <laughs> In in the league, right? I mean, you, you you think about Anaheim, and it's like if you're not getting Trevor Zegers, like, you know, Adam Henrique, that's it. Like, that's it. Is this in some ways a dangerous year for buyers, yeah. given, that's... Yeah, given how many teams are in the mix and given how little talent there is in some of those teams that we look at as probable sellers?
2: Yeah, I think that you're absolutely onto something there. Here's my thing. There's so much parity in the league OK, so um, and, and I feel like a lot of teams that are trending real positive, the Canucks included, you know, the Colorado Avalanches of the world, these types of teams. I feel like they really, the Winnipeg Jets, I feel like they really value their process. I feel like they really value their room. There's two ways to think of things like you're going to hear a general manager say things like that. At this time of year, they always say things like this. They say, um, I owe it to the uh, the players in the room to upgrade the lineup if possible. Like I owe it to them mm-hmm. because they proved it to me that they could play at a high level. But to your point, two things, tons of parity in the league and you better be shopping in the right circle. And if there's only a couple of assets out there, I would sooner, you know, be very careful about how much I'm spending on that because it, it, depending on the team that there's only let's say there's two centermen let's say there's Monaghan and, and, and Henrique at the top right now in that kind of category well only two teams are going to get that those players uh, your, your odds of still being able to have success in the playoff is pretty good without acquiring those players would I like to have one absolutely so don't get me wrong but I'm just saying that you got to be really careful here and and, and kind of manage the field. That's why you got to be on the horn every day. You got to be talking to agents. You got to be talking to everybody because uh, there's not a lot of value out there um, and it has to fit with what your MO is as a team. And that's why I have to be honest with you. like, that's why Henrique for me keeps coming. I, I keep circling back to him in Vancouver. I just feel like, you know, second unit power play, he produces He's going to play the way the coach wants him to play. He's gone deep in playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those penalty killing is still good. Penalty killing is good. Like yep. he's a, he's an eighteen minute, seventeen to eighteen minute a night guy, and like quality minutes, right? Like so, even if he scores uh, just at a secondary level, the, if you if you were to acquire him today, eliminate his scoring stats because it's Anaheim and you know they've been trending down for quite a while, right? So it's a hard place to score right now. You know on balance. But you get him into Vancouver's lineup with more protection at the top, he's probably going to produce more offense for sure. But all the rest of it, guys, is what I'm more interested in than the offense.
0: Drilling down a little bit on some of the assets that the Canucks have available, and we had a listener text in asking about Hunter Brustevich, and I do find that's an yeah. interesting name to consider because, you know, recent third-round pick, so you wouldn't necessarily think his value is sky high, but he's also having a phenomenal draft plus one year. Is that the type of player where it really just comes down to a team-by-team basis, you know, how the individual teams rate him as a player? and, and You know, to is, is that what determines what his value would be on the trade market?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And what if, if the team, like I love the kid, I love his year that he's had, but he's not there yet. Right. So there's Mm -hmm. still some buyer beware there. So in, in that scenario, although the prospect is trending up a great deal, that's another scenario where you'd be looking at, you know, one of your fourth round picks would have to go with him in a trade, you know, even though you value the prospect because, that the team that's acquiring him, they're not a hundred percent sure he's an NHL player, so they're going to want to try and roll the dice with at least another pick and and lay that on their scout's lap to make a, a smart acquisition at the draft, and hopefully they get another you know prospect in their in their cycle. So that's a good name though. Like I did look at that name because I do believe that that name will come up, um, and and that's fine. Don't fall too in love with your prospects, guys. Mm. Like like you just can't do it. I, it's a good news story that they're that they're filling the coverts a bit, but don't fall in love with all of them because it's a long process and, uh, and they've got others on the horizon, which is good. Um, But, you know, from an asset management thing, you know, I'll put it back on you guys, like Kuzmenko, you know, what are we going to do there? And, you know, at the number, like it does Anaheim, take a look at that with what they have coming uh, in their system in the middle of the ice and say to themselves, you know, We'll take some risk on that. Maybe he can get back to being a 25-30 goal guy in our system, um, and maybe the money makes sense there too. So um, that's another asset management type of uh, angle.
1: Yeah, and you kind of addressed my question there, but I I am curious to get overarching philosophy. Like, you know, one one trade that's been oft-criticized in this market that I've always thought um, people are wrong about, for example, is like the Canucks traded Gustav Forsling after he was a fifth-round pick who who crushed the World Juniors, right? Now, they didn't get anything for him. Like, the target maybe wasn't the right one in that they traded him for Adam Clendenning, who, you know, uh, topped out as sort of a quad A guy. But the idea of, like, selling high on prospects if they pop the way Bruce Stevich has or uh, if they ha- go off at the World Juniors or something, I- I'm curious to get your take as, you know, a- an amateur talent evaluator by trade, on whether or not teams should maybe even look to be more aggressive on that than they are?
2: That's a good question because the aggression part of it is, um, you know, again, you're going to have to have done a lot of your homework and you have to, I'm, 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 you know, I don't want to, I don't want to out anybody in the industry right now, but I just came back from the world juniors. Okay. And I legitimately saw some franchises that had, um, they were pretty flush with a staff over there and you could tell they were doing their homework in terms of, you know, asset value from other franchises. And then there were some that, that were in and out guys. And so what, what I'm trying to position here is that I believe that in the world we live in, you should have as much knowledge on every single uh, asset out there in the draft cycle and beyond because they do hit later on, and you better know what's going on with them. Forsling's a good example. Would I be aggressive trying to, um, you know, get a, a guy like a Brustwitz or, or somebody coming hot out of the World Juniors? I would absolutely investigate it. I mean, the costs associated with it would have to make sense, but absolutely, because it tells you something, doesn't it? When you can, when you can view a prospect previously drafted in high-leverage situations playing big minutes on the world stage, it tells you something about his development curve, And I think that there's, you know, there's value there. So um, I don't know the exact way to go about it because you have to convince your general manager and it's got to fit, you know, the the strategy of the organization. But if you can uh, convince somebody to give up an asset, I say go for it.
0: You know, obviously, we tend to talk a lot about pending UFAs being on the market at the trade deadline, but you do see players with term attached move as well. And sometimes they're even more desirable for a team in the Canucks position, right? Because they have a lot of UFAs already on the roster. They have uncertainty surrounding Elias Pettersson and Philip Pronick. So they have lots of cap space for next year, but there's also still major questions about how they're going to spend that cap space on, you know, guys who are already on the team. How would you balance targeting UFAs versus players with term? Because I understand sometimes, you know, we hear from fans saying, oh, I don't want to do rentals. It's too risky. But getting a player with term when you don't know how much you're going to have to spend on Elias Patterson and Philip Pronick, that could be risky as well.
2: Well, it could put you right back in the same situation you guys find yourselves in with Kuzmiko right now. You know, you bet high on him coming off a very good year, right? And now you're – you know, you're kind of caught in that muddy middle. So that's kind of like uh, it wasn't acquiring a guy with term, but you understand the the, the, the example mm-hmm. I'm trying to put. It you like you're stuck with it a little bit. So um, it's a process. And what I what I would say to the fan base is that you can't have everything. So you know, when when we're not playing well, you're the first to let us know about it. When we're playing well, you're really hyped up and you want us to get better. When I'm sitting in the war room right now and I'm looking at the trade deadline. It's not so much about, um, you know, the first thing out of my mouth is going to be what's making us better. I don't even look at the contract first. Like, it's like, does this fit? Does this make us, us better? And then it's like, okay, is the a pending UFA? Uh, you know, what's the situation with his contract? Does it fit? Does it make sense going forward in a perfect world? If you're bringing in a guy like a Henrique or a Lindholm, for example, in Calgary, obviously um, you know, it fits for now. And it's like, we kind of, we wait and see on it, but the Canucks, let's not forget, has had a nice little, I, I, I didn't like to trade when they made it, but they made a great deal last year to get a Roenick now in hindsight, mm-hmm. and he had term, and he's going to cost more money. There's a guy that's going to cost more money, so I don't think you get, whatever's going to make your team better is my, is my long answer here, guys. Don't worry so much about the term, especially when you're in a win-now cycle that I believe the Canucks are in. I think they're a contending team in the Western Conference. That doesn't come around very often. So manage the assets. If he's a UFA, great. If he's not, you know, it might be time to take the risk, depending on what you're moving out.
0: And, you know, specifically on Elias Patterson, obviously that's been a huge topic of conversation here in Vancouver, especially over the last few days. And, you know, we have heard on a couple of occasions from Patrick Alvin that, look, you know, he's trying to plan this team not just after the deadline and for the playoffs but going into next year. And, you know, obviously it would be a lot easier to do that if Elias Pettersson uh, was under contract with an extension. From your perspective, how would the uncertainty surrounding Elias Pettersson affect what the team should do at the trade deadline?
2: I don't think that you can allow it to affect you right now because the growth of the group and any type of success that they have um, come playoff time, everybody wants to be around a winner and so does Pedersen. Pedersen wants to be part of a a group that's going to have sustained success. And uh, I'm not, I'm not allowing that. And neither is the player, by the way, like they're, they're having, they're all towing the rope in the same direction and everybody, you know, they want to have success. So I'd be more concerned uh, going forward about what the number will definitely look like in relation to some of the other star players on the roster, because I know it's way out in, uh, way out in the future here, but it sneaks up on us as we know, but you know the Quinn Hughes at seven eight five and you know Miller you know he's at eight, but he's on on a long term deal and, and now you see the Nylander signing like I honestly think peterson's a twelve million dollar player like that's I believe that like that's how good this guy is for me, so I mean I'm going into any type of strategy with that in the back of my mind and adjusting the rest on the fly, I guess but I don't think it's a distraction in the big picture, uh, in the immediate uh, results of the team or or how they prepare or anything like that.
0: Really fascinating, Jason. Really appreciate the time, and uh, we'll have a chance. We we're gonna do a thing that we think maybe next week where we run a whole bunch of listener trade ideas past you and get your take on them. Are you are you oh, on board that for that?
2: Would be a great time. <laughs> All That's right. Awesome. That would be awesome. I look and, forward to that. So and hey, I, all I would say to the listeners: if you ask the question, don't be afraid of the answer. Just tell you that, in advance. Well, well,
1: Bukes, I'm uh, Jamie's pushing back on it, but I want to call the segment. All your trade ideas suck, and here's why.
2: <laughs> hey, it's your market, fellas. If you can get away with calling it that, I'm, I'm just here for the. I'm on along for the ride, so that's awesome. All right, we're looking forward to it. Thanks, man. Have a great week.
0: All right, you guys too. Thanks for having me. <laughs> that is Jason Buchla, uh from Sportsnet's NHL coverage. Of course, a long-time NHL scout. Always fascinating insight uh, getting that scout's perspective on where the Canucks stand and how they're positioned going into the NHL trade deadline. 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. Uh, and up next, another colleague at Sportsnet is... Ian McIntyre of a triple threat. He had the question and answer session with Patrick Alveen. Uh, very, very fascinating answers from Alveen in that interview. So we will talk to IMAC about that, his perspective on the team, entering trade deadline season, and a lot more. That's coming up next year on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strance here live from the Kintech studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Ian McIntyre going to join us momentarily here. Uh, just needs a minute according to our producer so we'll get imac on the line very very shortly here lots of good texts uh coming in as well Uh, again 650 650 is the Dunbar lumber text message inbox one person texting in one key injury to the canucks fab five and the playoff dreams are toast they must get high level depth and uh, that's something i agree i mean Look, injuries are always going to be a big deal. You're never going to be able to completely insulate yourself from an injury to a core player. Uh, certainly not one of the team's top four or five players, but just in general, adding to the top part of the roster, adding to the top six, adding to the top four, that's absolutely, absolutely what my goal would be uh, if I was making those decisions, which, thankfully for everyone, I'm not making those decisions. <laughs> Jim Rutherford and Patrick are. That's a much better situation for everyone
1: involved. Yeah, but, I mean, you're just cheering from the sidelines, being like, make a move! Make a move! Make a move! Do something big! I'm really- Unfortunately, there's nothing big to do. Well, not right now. No, you but hope- There be. could be. I mean, you hope that something shakes loose. You know? You I hope... see a
0: path to doing something big. I don't
1: think it's out of the question. I, I don't either, but, you know- Not that it's a guarantee or anything like that. And, like, Jake is really good, but it's not, like, a perfect analogy for, like, the Phil Kessel trader does sure. right Uh
0: now joining us from Sportsnet the triple threat he is Ian McIntyre I Mac
3: thank you for doing this how are you uh, enjoying this winter wonderland yeah how, how's the commute Enjoy- today? En- enjoying might not be the word actually I took uh, the Canada line in to the rink Smart. Walked, walked to Rogers Arena from the Yale Town mm-hmm. Station it was it was good everything everything was smooth I, I lost an edge On my way from the rink to here, I ducked inside the the JW Marriott and security is eyeing me. So there may be confrontation (laughs) on live radio, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, lost an edge, but recovered. Lost the outside edge. That's tricky. You lose the inside edge. You're fine. Like, yeah, all your weight's still in front of you, but you lose the outside edge and uh, it's, you know, you could go down. But I did. I did. Always an athlete. Right, always. Just listen.
0: I just grab a seat at a slot machine, and they'll let you stay for, <laughs> <laughs> as long by as you're way, putting money in.
3: Yeah. By the way, you guys shouldn't be grousing about your the lack of uh, from this talk. because they've been involved in. <laughs> oh no! Of them
1: <laughs> no, no. You know, I'm I'm reading all these put together by you know Six Frank Sarah, like my lead Chris Johnston, and it's like at highlighting it is enemy. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, I can I see like six clear sellers, and I'm astonished by how little talent there is on those teams.
3: Yeah, and they end up right. having, having to pace. Uh, when, you, when you look at the overall standings, and I'm trying to think where I saw. I think it was uh, the athletic. I think it was Dums <laughs> uh, rankings. That there's he still has ten teams with a better chance of Stanley Cup than the the. the way is teams that so they no one's going to come out and sell that we think we can win the cup, but there's a whole lot of teams that have other chances of going on an extended playoff run, and with so few sellers, you know the bidding may may get absurd. You know the the some of the prices like if I if I think back to the players the Canucks got you know, for, for second and third round picks like mm. Mika, Nor- Mika Norin I think played three games for Vancouver, something something like that. Uh, and and those, you know, from the from the Burke to the Nonis to the Mike Gillis regime of the, that were paid uh because those were teams that that were good and had a chance to do something. Uh it, it just seems absurd in, in hindsight. But it was that was that was the that was the cost of doing business back then, and there were, I think there is some sanity uh, came into it in recent years. Like I, I don't think the prices for rentals have been as outrageous as what they were before, but it may be it may be outrageous this year with so many so many good teams and and such a broad field at this point when you're trying to handicap who might win the Stanley Cup.
1: I'm trying to convince Jamie to do a whole show based around the idea of all your trade ideas are bad, in which we <laughs> solicit trade ideas from people and then tell them why they're bad. I'm against it, I'm actually. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I, we're going to do say, it. I got to say most of them are bad. Yeah, right? But most even, is different than even, all.
1: Even Mac. <laughs> I want to leave the door open. I don't want to no, prejudge but, the trade ideas. No, but you can leave the door open. The point of the all, like you know it's um it's like in uh, music where you deviate from the from the
3: 44 and that tells people that it's important right anyway yeah, sure I mean, anyway, the yeah, most of, most of them are bad because even the ones that sound good because the Canucks are going to end up with a hell of a player the, the cost is usually not in touch with reality mm-hmm. right. of what people of what people propose exactly so, thank so you matt Mac, team, all
1: your trade ideas are bad. I appreciate it.
3: Yes.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, I had a point here, and and that point was this. You were talking about some bad trades in Canucks history, some bad deadline day deals. What's the worst that you can remember? Maybe we can go around the table and I'll say a bad one in in our memory, and then we can debate it. What do you think? Uh, We'll give you first pick.
3: Well, I needed a heads up on this, Tom. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> because, well,
1: you brought up so many right off the top. I, I mean, I'm, Mika Noronen's a strong contender.
3: Yeah, I've covered the team for so long. There was there was a guy, and now, uh, again, because I don't have it in front of me, I can't remember his age, or sorry, his name. A the guy they got from Buffalo, a little shifty center. It was Mike Gillis. Derek right. Derek uh, they got Derek him from Roy, Dallas. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, from Dallas, not from Buffalo? So we had gone yeah, Buffalo-Dallas-Van. Correct, then. yeah. And what, what, because I don't have it in front of me. Did they give up a second? They gave up him? a second. Yeah, and I think Kevin
0: Knotten yeah. as well. And Kevin Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. Uh, I mean, off the top of my head, that and, and the Norton, trade, there was one year they, I think Dave Nones gave a couple of decent draft picks for Keith Carney and <laughs> Eric Weinrich. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was
1: going to be my pick. <laughs>
3: Yeah, because they'd had they'd had a terrible rash of injuries, and they just needed guys, and that was the cost of getting those guys. So, I'm sorry, my answer isn't isn't very defined for you. No, There's been I, a lot of them. I, I would I argue. Say, yeah, I would argue that the Sammy Paulson deal is worse
1: than the Derek Roy trade, and I have, and I'll continue to. <laughs> I yeah. was literally googling
0: Keith Carney and Derek Roy as you were giving that answer. IMAC. So we are on the same page. We're thinking along the same lines here uh, on that front. But look, taking all this into consideration, you know, as you said, the way the, the prices could get inflated again. This year, you know, you asked Patrick Alvin in the in the Q&A up at sportsnet.ca, uh, will you be aggressive ahead of the deadline? And Alvin's answer is, well, I think it, I owe it to the players. Now he goes on to say, uh, we know that they're capable of playing at this high level. If they continue to do that, then it's on me to make sure I support them and give them opportunities to be successful. With what you're saying in mind about the, the state of the market, what qualifies as being aggressive and kind of fulfilling that obligation to the
3: players that Alvin says he has? Well, aggressive is a broad term, so it would depend on on the return they get. I don't think I don't think there's been any declaration that there's no way they're trading their first round pick, for mm. instance. Uh, the, you'd have to be—that's very aggressive, and I ho- and I kind of hope they don't do that. Even not knowing what the return would be, uh, I hope they're not at that stage already. And I know Thomas agrees with me on this. I don't. Uh, Oh really yeah, you're all in you're i radically in.
1: I radically shift once you're perform once you performed like this for forty games yeah, no, I radically shift because I my thing is be dramatic when you're bad, be dramatic when you're good take advantage yeah. of the natural gravity of the NHL system that's my yeah that's my overarching view. It's not pure rebuild pure draft capital thing
3: yeah i I do think and i've I've said this on the post game show a couple of times that you should never ever be complacent about an opportunity that yes. arises and think mm-hmm. that, well, we can do this again next year or the year after, or, you know, y- you have to do when you're in a position that you think your team can go on a long run, you have to do everything you can within reason, which I know is a, is a big ask <laughs> to, to take, to take full advantage of that. And I think, I think that's what Alvin was saying as well. But as far as, uh, you know how aggressive is too too aggressive it, it it's hard to say because it obviously it depends on the return but i wouldn't like to see them let's say sacrificing tom vilander for a rental right oh yeah or, yeah or you know trading their first round pick for for a rental uh, i would uh, but short of that you know uh they do have some prospects and you know, maybe somebody, uh, and and I wouldn't trade LeCarramacki either. But you know, they do have uh, a bunch of guys that they think have done well in in the American League. Those guys though aren't going to get them a prime asset back. Beyond that, I I just I still don't think they have the the depth of grade a prospects for lack of a better term Mm. to be frittering them away uh, on, on a rental. But again, it depends on the return and who you can get. And you know, the great thing about those, those deadline moves for rentals, for the teams competing, the verdict is it, the verdict gets, uh, comes in, you know, it's not, it's not a draft question where you need to wait five years before Mm. you can say, good pick or bad pick because you're going to know that year whether it was a good trade and you just hope that you find out in June or May and not in April that, uh, what the verdict was on, on those deals. But I think they, I think they should be aggressive. And, and listen, uh, this isn't, um, anyone who's been paying attention knows that Rutherford and all have been aggressive, Mm -hmm. Since, certainly since the end of last season, maybe since uh, maybe since the Tocket move, you know in, in building this team since it got its new coach, you know the horonic deal was an aggressive deal, but just the, the the number of changes and the number of transactions that they've been involved in tells you that this has been a very aggressive regime, and there's no reason to think now that the team is better than anybody thought it would be that they should be less aggressive. So
0: obviously, another big topic of conversation between you and and Patrick Alvine, IMAC, was uh, the status of Elias Patterson and the status of negotiations between the team and Elias Patterson. Did anything that Patrick Alvine said in in response to your questions change your understanding of the dynamics in that situation right now?
3: No, I I, I think we all knew uh, that the team is kind of impatient to to get this going, and and there's there's a lot of logistics. Uh, evolved as well. It's not simply a case of mm-hmm. they want their best, you know, their are arguably their best player, their best forward under contract, although that makes sense too, but there's there's uh, nothing happens in isolation under the salary cap and they have other decisions to make and this is this is the most important one and and certainly the most expensive one facing them and they would like they would like to have that settled. Um, I, I, did, I found it interesting that he conceded and I, yeah, I led the witness a little bit with the question he conceded. This is unusual. Yeah. I credit you position. for smart
1: framing earlier in the program.
3: <laughs> yeah. To, it, it's unusual to have a guy that you think is a core player, a foundational piece, and he's going to be an RFA, not a UFA, and yet still, uh, wants to wait and, until, until the end of his platform year. Uh, I thought that was I thought that was interesting. By the way, Thomas, uh, credit to you. I thought you did an excellent job today in the athletic laying out the scenario and pointing out, as as uh, Alvin did, that you know the, an RFA situation is dramatically different than a UFA situation, and the Canucks still have you know a great level of control here. But I think yes. you also pointed out
2: you don't want it to long, come to that.
3: Yes, and the longer it goes goes on. Uh, the less control you have, because you start operating more from a position of weakness. At some point, and maybe it's if he, if he gets—I I haven't really thought this through, but I'll, I'll just spitball it now. Let's go. Maybe, maybe if nothing happens through the end of the season, and you actually get to a stage where a teams having to write up a qualifying offer for Elias Pedersen, maybe the maybe the balance of power shifts at that point maybe by then it's all in it's more in petterson's control than it is the canucks control it already kind of feels like this is in Pedersen's control but it's uh it's a very unusual situation it's it's one that uh is going it's kind of at the the center of spokes uh going at the hub of of a wheel where all these spokes of other things that the canucks need to do all come back to this decision and are they are they going to have Pedersen back in it and at what cost and for how many years? It's fascinating, Ian, because it, you know what? It
1: kind of reminds me of the Luongo trade saga where like nothing had happened, but it was all anyone wanted to talk about, right? The yeah. fact is though is that I, I kind of think there has been a material shift, not not in – the posture of either side, but in the stakes as a result of this team's success over the course of this season, how, how do you view whether or not this club seeming far more legit, right? Like this isn't just a bubble playoff team now, right? We're, we're talking about a team, you know, you know, that I think um, that I think has a shot to maybe make some noise this spring. How, how does that change perhaps the stakes
3: of this in your view? Well, I don't, I honestly don't know how much it changes for Pedersen. You can look at it from the from the Canucks' perspective. Had had they let's say they were ten points worse, so they would be having a good season they'd be in a playoff spot, but they wouldn't necessarily feel like they had a long run mm-hmm. uh, coming up. And let's say that Pedersen is having the same year that he's having, so having an out- outstanding season so presumably then if they're 10 points less some of the other guys aren't playing as well i think you would i think there would uh, feel like there is an essential element that you absolutely have to have this guy re-signed that you can't continue without him i think from the club's perspective you could sort of point to the overall team success and the years that the Quinn Hughes is having and Brock Besser's having and JT Miller of course uh, probably the most important uh, in the context of a Pedersen uh, conversation because JT Miller's is a, a center as well um you you probably feel like obviously you you want to to have Pedersen, but you you might feel more like you have enough of these other core players that if you don't have them back then you have to you have to make a really good trade, which is a whole other conversation, but you could, you could feel like there's life without PD, where if, if the team wasn't where it is right now, maybe you'd feel like absolutely you had to have him I don't really know what it changes from, from PD's perspective, other than he has said how much he wants to be part of a winning team mm-hmm. and he's seeing it now. And yet negotiations haven't begun. Th- Thomas, you made the point when we were talking on the last road trip, and I presume you made it on your show. So I hope I'm not.
1: Well, that's okay. We, we discussed it off well, mic. Hopefully, you're not going to help me uh, here. Well, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, I, I invite you to go ahead. I'm sure it wasn't that salacious.
3: Yeah, yeah. I don't. No, it, it's not. But you said for people, and I think that you probably have talked about this. For people who uh, were on one side or the other when the season began. So if you're if you're on the side that PD doesn't want to be here, the evidence to this point mm-hmm. gives gives that side more fuel Yes. Than the, than the side that, oh, this is just business and yeah, it's unusual, but it'll all get worked out. Of course, he wants to stay and they'll pay him a lot, a lot of money. That side right now is still waiting for some evidence mm-hmm. to back them up halfway right. through the year. Whereas there seems to be evidence if you want to believe that pd wants out there's there's evidence that can support your argument to to this to this point yeah. it, it's it's fascinating so i haven't i would have to go back and and really look and think about it I, i'm not sure that they've had a situation quite like this in the past
0: uh, one of the other interesting situations with the Canucks, and it's been something we've talked about all year, obviously, is Andre Kuzmenko. You brought that up with uh, Patrick Alvin as well. Do you have a sense of where this might be headed between the Canucks and Kuzmenko as the trade deadline approaches?
3: Yeah, I. I it, it's just hard to see how Kuzmenko is going to fit into the puzzle, and and uh, you know Alvin mentioned that the talk it's a, a puzzle guy and they're trying to figure out where the, the pieces fit if you're scoring 39 goals it even if you're a square peg and they have a round hole available you make it work because you're scoring right. 39 goals right now it, it's just not going for andre and i feel bad for him i think we all do those of us who talk to him and and know him a little bit through covering this team you know knows uh, understands how well-meaning, how how well-intentioned he is, and that he really does want to do the right things. But we're also at the point now, you know, a year and a half into his time in Vancouver, but coming up uh, on a year with this coach where there there sh- isn't really any mystery about what those right things need to be, and yet he's still struggling to do them. So uh, the way it's going, I think, I think they'll continue to make and get calls on, on Andre, I you know, at five and a half million, I don't think <laughs> I'm, I don't know that teams are going to be scrambling uh, to try to get him. I think there's probably when, when all being said that uh, teams have been calling because anytime you have a player like that sitting out, teams notice, and, and you get calls. At this point, I suspect, strongly suspect, everyone's looking for distressed pricing on the part of the Canucks and, and you know, we've seen how difficult it is to move salary and what teams want in return for taking on salary. Uh, I think it's going to be really hard to make a good trade for, for Kismenko. And I also don't think it's the end of the world. Even if you decide that he's not going to work for this coach and this system and whatever the reasons, it's not the end of the world that you just you finish this year and then you reassess and then you, you see what you can do in the summer. Uh, but it is, it is a big thing, uh, a big item on the plate of Patrick alveen to, to sort this out because you can't, you can't really afford to to be paying a guy five and a half million to do, to have the season that, that Andre is having, especially when, you know, the coach has made it clear uh, that, you know, you can have some leeway with your demands if a guy is, is scoring. Mm -hmm. And right now, uh, now, right now Andre isn't, which means explains why there's been so little leeway. Well,
0: and I think with the stakes being so high for this team, too, right, with a chance to make some noise in the playoffs, it's tough to to ride with a guy making that much and who's not necessarily clicking with the coach and what he wants from the player. Uh, Ian, great stuff with the Q&A with Patrick Alvino, and thanks for coming on and sharing some insight with us. Be safe on the trip home. Try, try not to lose any more edges, all right? All
3: right. Uh, thanks for having me on. And quickly, Thomas, did the thing that I – Revealed was that the item that you thought I shouldn't reveal, or have you talked about that? Oh
1: no, it's no problem. I don't think I've talked about it so much as I spend a lot of time talking about the fact pattern and and what it all means. So that's consistent with the way that I've been feeling my way through this on on Mike. But yeah, no, I mean a totally fair thing to bring up. Never never a problem, man. Like I, I yeah. you know if you'd started and I'd had a problem with it, I'd have been like Mac Mac Mac, and like <laughs> you know like I would have changed the subject and it would have been fine. So don't worry about it.
3: Yeah, we're yeah. we're Bottom good. Line, but yeah, bottom line, the side that, that really wants PD back, they're looking for some hope. They're looking for some traction, as we all are. Thanks, I-Mac. Appreciate it. See you guys. That is, I see what he did
1: there, looking for some traction, as we yeah. all are today <laughs> in the snow. That, that's that, why he's uh, Ian McEntire, why he's Mac. right there. That yeah. was good to no, finish I, it up. When, when, you, when you're like the two guys who travel, too, like me and Mac spend a lot of time together. Yeah, of course. i'm
0: just surprised you like i would be like racking my brain to try to you know comb through all of the hours
1: of conversation we'd had it's like oh what about what did i say what did i say yeah no i wasn't worried i am you know even 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 in my like private conversation i tend to be pretty careful (laughs) i guess you could say some stuff that i've said off mic but oh no idea what you're talking about (laughs) no except it would all be about like fa cup betting (laughs) (laughs) it wouldn't be about the canucks how did blackpool
0: come back (laughs) Why did I not get in on this? (laughs) All right. Should be the crossover tomorrow uh, if Donnie and Dolly can find their way into the studio. It's Canucks game day. Feels like it's been a while. I know it was played on Monday. If they can
1: find their way into the studio. (laughs) We'll see. They didn't today. <laughs> 50-50. 50-50. So uh, hopefully the crossover tomorrow oh, on a Canucks game Over day. under 10 times we refer to them as being soft. Over. Way over. Absolutely over. over. Uh, we're back tomorrow. Before we leave, of
0: course, JanPro, the leader in commercial cleaning, Workplace safe during this flu season by trusting JanPro's environmental disinfection service. Visit JanPro.ca. We're back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Sportsnet 6.